the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Guerrilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm Paul, Paul Spain, and along with me this episode we have Tim Bat, Rob O'Neill. Thanks for joining me, gents. Um, now this is actually quite unusual. We've got two new guests on the show. Usually, if we get a new guest, it's sort of one new guest alongside you know someone else. But uh, we've got both of you new. Uh, Rob, maybe just fill us in a little bit where you fit into the the world of tech here in New Zealand. Oh, okay, I used to be ed- uh, editor of Computer World going back. Uh, oh, I don't know. That'd be about five years ago, and I did that for about five years. I came into reporting tech at Computer World in the nineteen nineteen nineties, late nineteen nineties. Um, and uh, then I had a phase as business editor at the Sunday Star Times, and now I'm a contributor with ZDNet, um, which is, of course, the global news newswire. So, yeah, great gig. Good stuff. Oh, well, thank you for uh, coming along. And, Tim, now you yes. sort of fit into the, the, the world of uh, podcasting maybe more. Yeah. You're more in that, that world and the comedy world than uh, usually the, the tech hat, right? There's a uh, long-term nerd, geek rather, consumer of tech, lover of tech, um, but yeah, in terms of a participant, the podcast that I do, the worst idea of all time, is probably my biggest achievement to date, which is kind of sad, uh, <laughs> considering it consists of me and my friend watching the same movie on a weekly basis over and over and over again. But um, it's it is a pretty nerd. crazy, pretty crazy concept, I've got to say. It's found a very strange but strong audience, okay, which cool. is good. Well, let's jump straight into uh, the news and uh, topics of the week. Now, first up, uh, Google have kind of uh, surprised us all, haven't they? Did anyone see this coming? They're uh, they're no longer Google. I think uh, Larry and Sergey did, but uh, nobody else. I mean, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think it's fascinating for the for what it shows about Google that we've all suspected for such a long time is that you know Google actually is a conglomerate. You know, it's a it's like an old-fashioned industrial conglomerate, and it's made up of lots of things that don't really integrate very well. And um, I think that's becoming plain. Yeah, I saw the move um, also as like a real future-proofing because they do just seem to be expanding all the time into these insane realms, and they need some sort of organisational structure that will be able to facilitate that, so they don't sort of hit that ceiling of what they can do. And it's kind of nice as well to be reminded that Google, which you know formerly has been known as such a forward-looking company hasn't started to get that sort of creep on where it becomes a creaky old organisation where some upstart's going to take its position. It's it's still taking risks and trying to future-proof itself as a, as a business and a company. Yeah, I mean, they've definitely got that fail-fast kind of thing going on, don't they? I mean, the thing that strikes me is that you've you got this one entity, the Google, the core Google, which is making all the money and subsidising everything else. And uh, they're, they're, they're getting... Um, uh, like a, they're a company that's had a number of hits, huge hits, but a lot of failures as well. And um, they, they do fail fast, and they and they they can't they shut things down pretty quickly when they when they don't come on. So Rob, give us a give us a, an overview of what's been announced by Google today. What 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 is this Alphabet thing all about? Okay, well, um, Sergey and uh, and Larry will be running uh, Alphabet. One's president and one's CEO. And Alphabet is kind of like the holding company of the whole the whole deal. Um, and underneath that, there's four or five companies. There's the, the venture capital company. There's the, the sort of medical-oriented company. There's the X-Lab, which is the, uh, the, uh, where, the, where the cars come from, the self-driving cars. And, of course, Google and probably another unit for YouTube. Um, which, and it, it, interestingly, just a couple of weeks ago, um, um, you were able to start using YouTube accounts without having a Google Plus account. So you can see that sort of unravelling starting to happen between those different units. 
So it does look as if at least some of those units are going to be much more standalone and operate as standalone businesses rather than being an integrated part of, of Google. There's also a new CEO whose name escapes me for the, for the core Google unit, but each of those units will have their own, uh, will have their own CEO. Yeah, so, um, and I'm not sure of the uh, pronunciation, uh, Sundar Pichai? That's him. Is that, about, is that about roughly how you say it? It'll do. Yeah? Okay, yeah. so he's he's the new CEO of, of Google itself. And there's an equally unpronounceable uh, uh, CEO for YouTube, Wojnicki. Is that yeah, right? Okay. Something like that? Is yeah. that the woman? Yeah, that's the woman, yeah. I was just reading today, just a little off topic that apparently she was the one who let Larry uh, use her garage when they were starting up is that right yeah oh, and right. now she's the CEO of YouTube <laughs> oh yeah that's worked out alright hasn't it a little it? bit of nepotism never yeah, hurt anyone jobs yeah. for the girls yeah <laughs> uh, it's um, yeah so I mean this this is pretty pretty big isn't it in terms of I mean it's just suddenly dropped on us um, I'm kind of curious what impact it will have in terms of how they operate because mm. yeah, Google I mean they make squillions of dollars no, no problems there, uh, and I think their most recent, you know, re- results were uh, were in the right direction. Uh, but uh, you know, with, with this, it's they're getting a bit more business focused, and you know, it seemed like they keep throwing you know a bob each way on all sorts of different things. And uh, yeah, Rob, as you, what you were alluding to before, they've had quite a lot of failures, probably more than most companies could afford to. Yeah. Well, this could this could allow Google, the core Google, to focus on things like um, spreading its its uh, technologies through into the enterprise. You know, like uh, you know Google Mail, Google um, uh, Cloud Services, and all that kind of stuff. There's quite an array there now, and lo- and lots of companies are adopting it. So, and things like that that actually make good money, you would expect them to push along a bit faster. But you know, Microsoft have actually sort of shot past them on a on a lot. You know, some of those things where. Yeah, they were they were the you know the early one in terms of you know cloud based office apps and and email and so on. You look at the offerings now and they look very tired yeah, uh, yeah. compared to Microsoft that have just been constantly iterating. Uh, and so yeah, hopefully this will bring back a bit more of a competitive edge in some of those areas. Uh, that that they should have been stronger than, yeah. than what they are in. Well, Microsoft's like a reborn company, isn't it? Really, in many respects. And you look at Azure; the progress of Azure has been amazing in the last few years. And Amazon on the other side. You, you don't really talk about Google in that in that context. No, certainly, you know, not and not in New Zealand. That's for sure. They just, you know, they haven't um, haven't been getting the the attention. Uh, now, jumping on to another topic, uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago drones and the fact that you know new laws in place. And basically, you need to get permission to fly your drone anywhere. Now, unless you own the property, basically, you have to get permission from the property owner. And so I was pondering this over the, the over the weekend. And uh, last week, we had a little bit of a chat about the, um, the, the Parrot Bebop drone. And I wanted to take it out and actually, you know, fly it around. I'm thinking, well, I'm not actually allowed to fly it anywhere because I haven't got permission. So then it sort of clicked that, well... Who would I get permission from if I want to fly to a park? Well, that's the council's park. So I called up the council and said, well, you know, me and, me and my son, we used to like going to the park to fly fly whatever drone we'd been sent to play with that week. And, um, well, can I have can I please have your permission, council person, to, um, to fly my drone this weekend? And uh, so the lady tapped away on the computer and she came back and started reeling off various comments. And uh, basically, it seems most of the councils around New Zealand have addressed that question because of uh, drone flyers like me calling up. And, you know, prob- hopefully they're a bit more proactive than waiting for someone to call. But most of them have figured something out. So 
if you do want to fly drones, then uh, call call up your council or Google them. Um, Christchurch City Council have got uh, details online. Uh, their one I found was kind of a little bit odd in that uh, you actually still have to go through a request process. Mm-hmm. And I think what I what I read was if somebody else has already been approved to fly a drone in the particular location like park where you're wanting to fly that day then um then you'll be declined yeah no drone wars um it so it doesn't sound like it can last so i was like mm, okay i'm not sure about that one um auckland council one they'd emailed me some stuff and then i found that they're online and they're calling them interim rules for flying your drones which is, is pretty much not a big change from where it was before the new legislation came in uh, and uh, Tauranga Council have also got theirs online so those were just the few that I managed to uh, managed to find over over a yeah, short, short period of time so this sort of sits with the councils but also with sort of input from the Civil Aviation Authority I take it so there are Civil Aviation Authority you know um, I, I guess input on the laws and and their you know their rules that still exist. So you can't fly your drone within four kilometres of a of an airport, for instance. And so when you go to the um, and Tauranga is not as you know spread out as say Auckland, so a large number of their their parks uh, actually fall within that exclusion zone because they how close they are to. Um, uh, the exclusion zones, which it mentions airports and hospitals. Mm. So, you know, a large chunk of um, Tauranga is within four kilometres of airport or hospital. Right. So yeah. there's not so many places you can fly. Maybe we'll get little pockets of New Zealand where their laws are favourable and we get all the drone enthusiasts suddenly flock to Wellington yeah. and we get a little thriving community there. And, of course, the other thing is you've got to remember to weigh your drone. Because the rules change depending on how much it weighs. There's weight restrictions, there's size of how big they are, if they've got a combustion engine, then that changes the rules. So, um, But yeah, if you've got one of these things or you were thinking of buying one and then thought, oh no, there's no point bothering now, um, just have, have a look online at those rules or talk to your council. Some of these are interim, so they probably they probably will change in time but it's it's not quite as dire as uh, as what maybe we were wondering I, uh, I think, that I it could the, be um, the, 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 the drones that are between 15 kilograms and 25 kilograms now I have no idea how many drones are within that range but I mean th- that requires you to actually go to the model aircraft association and have them inspected is that right <laughs> I, d- I didn't see that <laughs> comment Rob well I believe I believe it is yeah okay yeah who, so they're acting as well, arbiters of who can and cannot well, fly. They're the only people who've got a, a sort of um, accreditation a, accreditation to be able to do it. Wow. Yeah. That at seems moment, absurd to me. I, did I wonder what sort of reception you'll get as a drone flyer. Probably quite cold, I would imagine. You know, the, the old school guys, no, you're ruining the whole scene. Um, I did notice as well that there were certain restrictions, and I'm not sure what district council this was in, I can't remember, but on uh, around graveyards and memorial parks. So there seems to be, um, yeah, hospitals and, and airports make total sense from a very practical point of view, but there seems to be some sort of reverence to... Um, I guess places of places of remembrance for people as well, which I thought was kind of interesting. And um, anywhere where there's native wildlife or uh, anything like that, there's quite a few. I, I, even in parks, you're not allowed to fly them over park buildings in some situations. So, the, yeah, it pays to check Sport, the local rules. Sports fields, yeah, uh, sports fields. playing yep. playing yep. playing a game. So uh, you know, whereas you might actually have a legitimate reason for wanting wanting to sort of you know film a bit of a game oh, or totally. something like that, get some cool footage and. Yeah, so it's going to be easy to uh, fall foul of, of those, but it is worth going and checking out what the rules are so, uh, you know, you don't get in too much trouble. But, yeah, I think that the main focus should be around, you know, safety 
now and, and that's I guess you know some of these things for those of us that have been dabbling with with uh, you know some of these drone technologies uh, yeah it's tempting just to be pretty relaxed about it but then you know they do fall out of the sky or you know you you maybe man's not, here to put a stop to your phone not a, not as good at controlling it then um, yeah you don't really want to you know have one flying into somebody so yeah, there's a little bit of validity in there isn't there the, the thing I take big issue with is that if there's two people with drones in the same park that they might stop you being able to take yours out. That's that's not cool. That would take away all the fun. And how do you know the other guy's got a booking? Yeah, you know somebody's, just, tell some, you? somebody's just there flying their drone. They could just say, "I've got a booking." Well, I think that that was just what I saw from Christchurch City Council. So uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know, I don't know. It's it's cold down there at this time of year. So you know, maybe their decision making is not so uh, you know not so sound. Well, I guess Christchurch is sort of quite a specific, interesting uh, city at the moment as well because there's a lot of areas that are still cut off now in the red zones and that that people they do want to shoot. And they want to find ways to, you know, with a video camera, I mean, um, they want to take pictures of it. So You're not allowed, I'm sorry, Tim. I suspect there might be some sort of grey area where they're maybe really ramping it up in Christchurch so that they can just stop people from being around those areas, maybe? You need camo drones. Well, in those cases, you'd actually need to get permission for every single property you flew over, though. I mean, that's the the state of the law now, so you, you kind of... And in the mix as well with the safety you've stuff, been, I know there's we've privacy. We've been criminalised here, if, basically, if you you know if you fly a drone in certain uh, locations, aren't you? Yep. So, yep. yeah. I wonder if they will go around prosecuting people, how they'll police it. Because potentially, you know, these laws can be on the books and then they don't do anything about it. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes in the next little yeah, while. Yeah, my pick is it would be reasonably relaxed. But, you know, I think I'd encourage people to go and check out what the rules are and, uh, you know... Be, 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 be good. Be it'll good. be like the traffic rules. It'll become a revenue-generating opportunity for the councils. There's always oh, the risk, isn't it? I hope not. I hope not. <laughs> um, or for a one-off fee of $15, you can fly your your drone for one month in this park. Yeah, not into that. Yeah, it'll be like getting a fishing licence. <laughs> it'll be something. called an administrative fee, and it will far exceed any administration that goes on. <laughs> Tim, I don't think anyone had thought of this before you've said it, but... I'm you know, a libertarian. These are the things that I get worried about. I imagine that there'll be some, you know, some people in government that are listening in, and they've just jotted that down, <laughs> and already somebody's thinking about how they can make some money because of your suggestion. I so apologise. You've got to be careful what you say. Um, now we've had uh, Intel coming out with their new chips for years and years and years. Uh, the most recent is the uh, the Skylake chips, the uh, sixth generation. Uh, core CPUs. Now, Rob, you sat in on the. Uh, were you in, in on the, the media event um, via remote? The uh, the pizza event was it last yeah, week? Yeah, I was. I was. I got a pizza delivered. You got uh, a pizza pizza delivered, courtesy nice. of, of Intel. Um, yeah. And uh, I I couldn't make that. I think I was on a plane or something. Um, but yeah, some of that was sort of under under a little bit of an embargo until the day or two later. I think the the fifth. But most of the information is pretty public. It's been uh, online. Yeah, I think there was stuff that was still under embargo. Until a conference coming up, right? Um, so maybe I'm, IDF. I'm, I'm a little bit unclear as to exactly what I can and can't say. <laughs> well, I think that <laughs> I think a lot of it is out online. Yeah. Um, so I mean, we've heard that the, this new generation of chips from uh, from Intel, uh, they're initially targeting sort of gamers and enthusiasts with yep. some 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 new chips. Uh, so particularly those that are uh, that are interested in, in gaming might want to. Uh, have a little bit of a look, uh, particularly those sort of you know build your own PC uh, type folks and so on. 
uh, yeah, worth worth having a and little, boosting, little uh, bit of a nosy. You know, boosting notebooks, basically, isn't it? But they're bringing Xeon onto notebooks. And, yeah, uh, that's quite an interesting one. So yeah. the Xeon chips are, the, are what we've traditionally seen in servers. Uh, also on very high-power sort of graphics workstations and things like the... the uh, the fancy Mac Pro that we've got sitting here doing our uh, audio and, and uh, video uh, recording in the studio, um, that uses a Xeon processor, but we've never heard of a Xeon in a, in a laptop before. Yeah. What do you think that actually means? Uh, speed, basically. So Power. we're going to yeah. get some pretty grunty, Grunt. grunty laptops yeah, coming, grunty, coming through. Grunty gaming laptops is what, yeah. what it means. Um, the, um, and, and a higher price point, right? I mean, oh, when, yeah, when, you, yeah, when yeah. it carries that Xeon name, and you not expect that compatible. to compatible. You can't just drop it onto your Haswell as well as the previous generation motherboard. So, um, so that's going to cause some upgrades as well. Yep, yep. Yeah, yeah. But okay. with the new socket also comes the new RAM, which will be good. Mm-hmm. It's all on uh, DDR4. We're all going DDR4, aren't we? The, ne- cool. the next generation. Yeah. It was good with this chip because it felt like Haswell was almost purely about power consumption. Yeah. So all of the focus that Intel put into it was about making sure it would make batteries last longer and there was very modest performance gains. But yeah. Skylake seems like it's a far more um, significant upgrade, which I guess does make it yeah. Far better news for gamers. They did explain their TikTok uh, labeling of these different chips. You know, they got and the they, fact that they've just announced that that's broken. <laughs> did they cover that? No, they didn't. No. So, so what Intel have done is the TikTok where um, with the with the tick, and I forget which one is which now. The, the but talk is the significant one, I think. So the yeah, so they, the, they do the big um, you know change in terms of the chip design, and then the next year they they take that same design and shrink it. Uh, down um, and the challenge they have is next year they're not going to be able to do that shrinkage down right. as they were as they were expecting to. So uh, yeah, that's put a put a bit of a, a you know a challenge out there in terms of how quickly uh, things will keep improving speed wise and what that does to to the uh, the. The so famous somebody, Moore's one, law. One commentator online said this was more of a tick than a talk. Yeah, um, but which it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think I think that will all come clear when, when more of the details come out. It's, mm. I, th- I think it's definitely a talk, at least for gamers, it is. We're down to a fourteen nanometer fabrication now. That's I think. Right, yeah. So I think the concern now is we're actually starting to hit the real physical limitations of what silicon can do, and that's yep. why so much money's being chucked into graphene and research like that because. You know, Moore's law is getting dangerously close to completely hitting the wall now. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, but yeah, Skylake does look like good news. And I'm particularly excited about the new generation being announced and coming out now. I've already seen that some New Zealand retailers have started putting it in their shop fronts because it means that um, the Surface 4 is prob- the Surface 4 Pro probably isn't far away. Yes, because you, you use the Microsoft Surface Pro what, two. 2 at the yeah, moment. Yeah, I, I got a really good deal on the 2 when the 3 was just coming out and um, sort of did my research and stuff. The 2 is a bit heavier. Um, the screen size is a little smaller and it's 1080p versus this um, ultra-high def that the 3 is. But because it, it's got an extra fan in it, it's actually slightly more powerful. Um, so I don't mind trading the weight for that and the screen resolution. But the, I'm quite excited to see what hardware is going to be in the in the 4 Pro because I yeah. think I'll shell out for that one it seems likely we'll see something from Microsoft you know in the, in the next couple of months or, or so yeah. around that and a lot some of, of those Windows 10 type features right yeah exactly well that's yeah. exactly right yeah with the new OS coming out I think it's sort of we're looking at weeks rather than months for an announcement for the new one and uh, yeah I can't wait because the 3 was just so good 
and yeah. it really has started to take off, which is nice because, man, they needed a, a change in their fortunes with the first two generations. When, when you talk about uh, Moore's Law, I've always considered dual and quad-core processes a bit of a cheat. How so? Know? Well, you know, you should be able to do it on one. Right. Yeah. True Moore's Law, you know, adding chips is cheating. Right. So we should just be seeing raw clock speed exactly. increasing over time. It's funny because I remember... You're such a geek, Rob. <laughs> well, we've, Love we've been floating between the 2 and 4 gigahertz region for a decade at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It definitely slowed down. Like, there were Pentium chips out 10 years ago. They got to 3.5 or 3.6 yep. or 3.8. And um, we haven't exceeded it. So it's, it is, it's interesting where the money's going, but I guess it's because consumers are happy with the power that's out there now. We just want better battery life. So all the research is, seems to be funneling into that. Yeah, I'm sure performance will keep you know tracking, but it's not. it hasn't been quite as important as what it used to be. So we can kind of yeah. do... I mean, you know, I'm sure I mean, they maybe, say this every generation, but we can kind of do everything now. Yeah, maybe we can kind no. of say... No. Well, I, I, I think, was it that they, apparently Bill Gates had sort of said, you know, 640... Uh, you know, kilobytes would be enough anyone would ever need in a computer. That's the sort of language we're hearing from you here. I hear Tim. what you're saying, but I'll give you an example. So my um, Surface Pro 2, which no one intended the hardware to be used this way, but I edit high-def video from a digital SLR in that without too much of a problem with what is now considered quite an old integrated graphics chipset. So they're not supposed to be able to do that sort of thing. It's not what they're... Gaming is the big thing that's pushing everything forward. I mean, apart from that, you're just dealing with supercomputers. Yeah, if it wasn't for gaming, actually, I don't know where we'd be. It definitely helps push push the technology forward. So it's good to see Intel sort of you know, having uh, you know continued focus there. And just quickly on that note as well, the Skylake, the big gains seem to be in that new integrated graphics chip that's going along alongside it with the new socket and everything so that's really exciting yeah i mean it's nice that we've got decent you know better and better graphics sort of starting to come sort of built in standard so when you are using something like a you know a surface tablet etc you're getting better and better results one thing they did show at the uh, at the briefing was um uh the sort of usage uh the, the media landscape if you like and showed how um how gaming is actually bigger than movies it's bigger than television it's bigger than anything really it's the biggest form of media around uh, by revenue uh, and by probably by users it's it's an amazing it's uh, kind of nuts isn't it because it doesn't get treated or, or noticed as that but you know New Zealand for instance you know we're continuing to push up our our exports and in, in that gaming area you know, it's a it's a great opportunity for us as a country yeah absolutely and uh, yeah as you say those numbers are off the charts now jumping into other topics uh Microsoft and Android. There's been some interesting bits and pieces going on there uh, in recent days. Over the weekend, we heard that uh, Microsoft uh, they they've got you know tools now for trying to get all the uh, the Android and the uh, iPhone apps across onto uh, Windows 10, so people will be able to run those on their phones and on their tablets and and PCs and so on. So we knew that technology was sort of coming along, uh, but as as part of that, there's a piece that allows you actually fire up uh, Android apps on your uh, Windows phone, which is kind of interesting. So that piece of technology, it's not final yet, but it leaked over the weekend and there were people sort of buzzing about being able to run uh, apps like Periscope on their uh, their Windows 10 phones, which of course Windows 10 phone or uh, mobile, as I think they're calling it, uh, isn't even finalised yet. But uh, still, you know, people are putting these bits and pieces of, of test just, software together, and they're uh, just happy to have any apps. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's the big problem they're trying to solve. <laughs> so uh, yeah, kind of interesting. I think lots of apps are probably still don't run yet very well or at all, and there will be some that won't go through that translation process, but. Uh, 
it does make it a little bit more real that thought that Microsoft could pull something you know out of the hat here they've got a great you know operating system for their mobile devices but you know it's it's those varying uh, you know shortcoming in terms of apps that has kind of made it uh, made it painful and hard for them to win market share so yeah it's been a sad story watching Windows Mobile over the years because I don't think it's ever got the respect that it's deserved. It's now like a, it's such a lean, efficient, like lovely OS that runs on you know very sort of weak hardware, and the phones that they're producing are really cheap but just work beautifully. Like um, my mum uses a, a Windows phone and it's super quick. She's had it for a couple of years, does everything she needs. Um, but they they have they really it still seems to me they haven't gotten anywhere. I mean, how are their sales looking at the moment? I haven't sort of seen any figures oh, recently at all, but it's not great. <laughs> yeah. I think but in some the, countries they've kind of you know they've they've bumped up. There were a few countries where stats were that they were ahead of you know iPhone and so on. And I guess those may be more uh, you know cost conscious uh, markets. I know Italy um, was was probably a standout in Europe, and there are you know a few other places around the world. But yeah, generally, yeah, like in the US, you know they've they've struggled to get. You know, much more than you know, three percent to five percent sort of market market share and in, in those sort of markets. So, yeah, I mean, if they don't pull this off and and get those apps across, you know, I'm not kind of sure, you know, what their next bet will be. Um, although, you know, apparently a lot more businesses are starting to go across yeah. to Windows phones. Is you know, we've gone from that point where businesses used to, you know, maybe give out lots and lots of you know phones to you know to staff and. They're generally not very comfortable with Android from a security perspective. So it's that thing of, you know, it used to be top execs get a a BlackBerry or then an iPhone. And then people at the bottom didn't get a smartphone. They just got, you know, a a generic dumb phone. And they might have dozens and dozens of those out or however big their business is. But, you know, now the same price you can hand out, say, a Windows phone. Yeah. And so that might end up winning them, you know, a chunk of market share. It's like just round and real world usage anecdotally. That's where I'm seeing them as well is around businesses who are giving them out and stuff, which is a way, you know, that's one entry point into the market. That's a way to get certain people introduced and then... They can tell their mates or buy a person. It's one. also a market that Microsoft really cares about, and it was what it was the reason why they introduced um, Windows Phone, uh, the, the earlier versions that looked like a desktop uh, in the first place. They just wanted to be on that platform, and they wanted to be able to uh, offer that to the to their enterprise customers. Uh, so that really matters to them as well. Mm. Interesting. I did. I saw quite a few Windows phones in the US. So it didn't. For me, it didn't. You know what I saw didn't seem to stack up with the market We're, share. That's interesting. Whereabouts? Uh, yeah. So on an airplane. Uh huh. So couple. So of, just a good mix of on, on a Joe couple, Punter. Couple of yeah, couple of flights. Uh, you know, I noticed. Oh, and it, there were people sort of sitting nearby me with with Windows phones. And you don't always notice what someone's phone was, but you do uh, if it's a Windows phone. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, sometimes, sometimes the you know the the UI sticks out. Uh, and then at uh, podcast movement at the conference I was at, um, yeah, saw a few around there as well. So and you can you can um, now go the other way as well, can't you? You can replace your uh, Google Digital Assistant. I've forgotten what it, what the name is with Cortana. Go- yeah, Google Now. So yeah, Microsoft now, is yeah. certainly doing that work to make sure that you know, regardless of how they go on their own mobile platform, that. As much as they possibly can, their technologies are going to be spread across, uh, you know, all the other platforms. So Cortana sounds great too. From everything I've read about it online so far, like they're using some pretty crazy technologies and AI techniques to get 
really cool results out of it so yeah it, it looks wonderful what it's doing yeah well let, let's hope they keep their sort of global ambitions going because uh, we don't have it officially here in New Zealand yet without uh, pretending to be from another country <laughs> so they've got they've got a bit of work uh, to do but uh, yeah heading in a good direction now uh, other bits and pieces what do we got um, oh we, we talked a few weeks ago about this uh, system that is being used in New Zealand for tracking uh, traffic and how long it takes to get from one location to another and with these uh, uh, travel times going going online um, with uh, who was I think tr- you know Transit New Zealand sort of putting putting these stats online the potential for there to be signs as there are now we've got non-digital signs that'll tell you how many kilometers it is say if you're driving from Auckland to Tauranga or you know etc and say oh yeah you've got you know 56 kilometers to go to this town and so many and uh, now they're getting these these you know real virtually real time uh, estimates of how long it takes to get somewhere else so we'll probably see digital signs coming up with that Um, but the company behind that blip systems they've now taken that type of technology which what it does is it sort of looks at at cell phones at varying points in your in in a journey and it tracks and says, well, this cell phone went past us at this time. Now it's appeared at this point. And it's able to um, you know, to estimate those long journeys. But now they're doing that actually with an airport. So JFK in New York, they're doing that to tell you how long it will take you to get from uh, you know, through security, for instance, which is fascinating. Like that actually the situation is that bad in the airport <laughs> that you need to have this technology tracking to say look it's actually going to take you uh, 60 minutes to get through security and out to your your flight or however long it's going to take correct me if I'm wrong but that's the same technique that Google Maps has been using to give you travel times is it not so they, they measure all the Android devices um, as they're travelling and then they're able to build a picture of I think their, te- their techniques around. are a little bit different so there are multiple techniques so there's um, the the uh, our, the carriers mobile carriers they have information off cell sites that they use for that uh, I believe the Googles and so on do collect information but I'm I'm not I'm not actually clear on exactly what they do and don't do because there's a few things that they could do they've got um, I know that they can give you even in New Zealand which is saying something they've got real time traffic warnings when the um, traffic slows up and it's not because of some VTNZ warning that comes out or anything it's because they do map the yeah, devices and that I are think that's coming off the, off the individual devices what what the, the technology that Blip use is it not on the device at all it's just devices that are fixed say along a motorway or within certain points in an airport oh so their own devices so they've got their own devices and what their device does is it scans for mobile devices coming in and out of zone and it's oh I saw um, I saw such and such device and then it sees that again at a further point and a further point so it's sort of it's um, I think I'd prefer that from a privacy point of view Yes, yes, and no. But you imagine all of that data. Um, if you collate all that together, then the, you know they're able to do. I mean, you can control it if it's on your phone. What you put out in terms of location, but with this, you know, Big Brother, whatever, can can actually be watching and could build a map of all the places you've gone without you actually having what's enabled the, what, something. So what, you'd have to disable your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth and so on to completely the lock that down. What identifier are they tracking? 
I think they're they're looking at your MAC address off um, probably off Bluetooth, something like right, that. That right. uh, you know that you, your phone is is transmitting. So there'll be some security uh, gurus that know a lot more about this. And uh, well, you think that, and um, then you find out it's some dude who's been running the project who <laughs> doesn't know what he's doing, and yeah. it's all in you know unencrypted clear text. And <laughs> yeah, so so you hope this is this is done reasonably well. Um, now. Flowing on over the last uh, the last few weeks, where we talked about Android security a little bit more recently, because there's been a, a few uh, you know bits bits and pieces going on. Um, the latest update that we've um, we've just had, and because of all of the uh, of stage fright, which was the big um, bug that we became aware of, I think about a week or so ago, which allows a, a malformed um, message or a, you know basically a, a dodgy message to get sent to your phone, and would al- allow a, a hacker to um, to be able to you know take take control. And this impacting a, a very large percentage of Android phones out there. There's now been uh, there's now been an, another um, another one that's that's come through that affects more than half of Android uh, phones out there. And so, in follow up to that, we've heard now from um, Samsung, LG, and uh, Google themselves are committed to doing monthly uh, security updates on Android. So I think this is this is huge news for for Android owners because, you know, really it's been getting to that point of, well, if you're carrying around an Android phone, then uh, you know you you're really leaving yourself at a lot of risk. Uh, so we're, I'm quite curious how this is going to play out. Uh, I've been in touch with uh, Vodafone Two Degrees and and Spark today, and generally what I'm hearing back is that the networks are wanting to uh, to try and keep up with these updates. But you know the challenge that 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 we've seen in the past is Apple just pushes out their updates. So if you've got a security issue on an Apple device, then Apple usually will address it reasonably quickly and just push it out and you get it no problem. But because those Android updates, and we've seen a similar thing with Windows Phone, have to pass through the manufacturer of the phone, not just the operating system, software vendor, and through the carrier, it's either we don't get the updates at all uh, or they're very delayed. So um, this is going to be interesting to see how it, how it plays out. Rob, have you got any thoughts on you know how confident that we, we should be that this process is going to work reasonably well? Uh, look, they'll get it right eventually. I mean, I, I, I'm more concerned. I'm concerned about that. Obviously, I'm, I'm a Samsung user myself. I've got the A3, the new, uh, the new metal-bodied one, the, the uh, their first metal-bodied phone. Oh, That's I might take that over shortly. Nice, um, let's finish nice. up the show first. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> anyway, it's uh, you know it's only a mid-level phone, but anyway, never mind. Um, I'm, I'm sure they'll get it working right. I hope it's not as annoying as Microsoft's updates, you know, because they're they're really tedious. Um, their phone updates are actually very good. They automatically right. install. You can set them to install at 3 a.m. in the middle yeah. of the night while you're sleeping. And I'm just talking updates. desktop. But, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I get that. Um, but the other thing Google has to do, I think, is clean up the Play Store. Um, there's some scary apps in there. And um, yeah, the free, a lot of the free apps, you really don't know. You seem to be signing your life away every time you download one. And uh, there are a few horror stories around there as well. So I think there are some pretty loose ends uh, mm. in the Android world. Yeah. Well, the, the latest security... Uh, issue is one that would allow a rogue app to basically step outside of what it's allowed to do 
and you know get access to anything else on your device so i think that's a really good call around the uh, the apps because you know while they just let anything into the app store you add that together with a with a security vulnerability even if it only lasts for a short space of time yeah uh, and yeah the level of risk that that you're at is um i mean is pretty we, scary. i think a lot of developers get pretty frustrated with the the hoops they have to jump through to get into the uh the apple store the apple app store but um you can see this coming there's, there's going to have to be some quality control increased quality control going in there Yep. Getting back to the sort of carrier and model, uh, rather maker-specific updates that get pushed out, one accidental nice outcome could be that they start moving towards more of an Apple model where we start seeing less and less manufacturers skinning their phones. So we sort of do away with Sense and Samsung. So, although it, that seem to be getting better over time, but usually the best ones are sort of those Nexus line, just pure Android experience ones. Yeah, yeah. So it'd be cool if we saw more manufacturers making a commitment to just doing that, and then theoretically the security updates could go a lot quicker. There's a lot of, um, uh, what do you call it, crapware? Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of crapware appearing on some of the Android phones as well. Well, there was actually a big, uh, I always follow HTC, because I've, I've got an HTC phone, I've, my last couple of phones have been HTC, and they're just such an interesting company to follow. They had a bit of a situation last week where they were pushing out an ad for Fantastic Four on their phones, and, you know, that at the moment it just seems to be bad news story after bad news story for them. <laughs> they had to halt trading on the Taiwanese stock market because they fell 10% in a day last week. So it's just, you know, all, all those sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. You know, they build, they snowball. Um, talk, talking of companies that have got to go through changes, uh, TomTom, Interesting company, of course. You know we know them for their uh, for their GPSs. Uh, just received from them their TomTom Bandit uh, camera, which is quite interesting. So haven't had too much of a play with it just yet because it's only uh, only just arrived in. But it seems to have got some um, some reasonable reviews out there. And they're I guess they're they're taking the sort of the you know the action cam uh, approach. But it's you know it's really interesting to think of this company that you wouldn't expect to be jumping into cameras uh doing so in fact htc had you know have have had a little bit of a play um with that with their um their periscoped uh shaped uh re camera uh, which is actually a really cool little camera i gotta say waterproof and and so on and nokia's launched a camera as well have they yep action cam i believe it is i believe it is okay is that brand sort of a brand new thing that's come along or it is it's like people missed? are reading it as a precursor to a re-entry into the smartphone market mm. yeah which is kind of fascinating yeah. that anyone would want to get into the smartphone market today <laughs> but anyway good good luck um yeah so that's one we'll uh we'll come back on and, and just see uh you know see how it how it compares with the uh the competition but uh with gopro you can say it with the gopro how it, how with it the compares to gopro yeah <laughs> yeah so um and there i mean there have been a bunch of companies that have that have i guess tried to take on gopro and yeah gopro have, have just been so incredibly successful in a kind of apple-esque way actually at just just building uh you know such a strong brand that it's uh, it's been very hard to compete with them. So you know, I'm kind of kind of curious how this will work out for TomTom. But you know, they are in that you know position where uh, you know grabbing a GPS to plug in in your in your vehicle is you know is just you know slowly, well, actually quite quickly is uh, you know 
disappearing there isn't really that need uh, anymore with all the the smartphones and so on that we've got so yeah i'm curious to see what their sort of uh, you know pivoting into into new fields will, will bring us uh, but looks like a pretty uh, pretty cool cam so far if you want to uh, look it up um, then yeah there's a there's a there's a good bunch of info online and uh, and videos and and bits and pieces on the tom tom bandit but um, it's similar we'll, it's similar to garmin going into the so they had smartphones, uh, smartwatches rather, sector. It's interesting seeing all these kind of beleaguered ancient yeah. companies, you know, by tech standards that are no longer relevant, like a GPS manufacturer. It just seems yeah. insane now I'm, I'm what actually, they're doing. I'm actually a yachty, so uh, we just put a new uh, through hull and, uh, and sort of a transducer into, you know, basically a depth sounder. But you can't just buy a depth sounder readout anymore. So I went into the yachting store and the guy showed me the most expensive Garmin sort of display that you could have and it had maps and it had gps and all that sort of stuff and i just looked at it, it was two thousand dollars and i said i can do that on my phone <laughs> yeah you and can you do can it just, with an do, ipad you if you want the big screen yeah you can just see his face drop you know it was yeah. like, so sad <laughs> Yeah, adapt, adapt or die. As yeah, they say. yeah. Well, that's that's the world we're in right now, isn't it? And I mean, everywhere you look, I think every you know any sort of whatever business it is is, is being disrupted. Um, you know, I mean, I'm looking around the room, looking at myself, running a technology services firm. The world of technology services is changing constantly. Tim, I'm sure you can tell us some stories about the the comedy world and uh, plus I'm wearing a pebble. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the new pebble time. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's pretty a, cool, actually. A disruptor, if, yeah, yep. if you like, or actually kind of an originator, really, because this was out far before the the Apple Watch was announced. So that's right. This is kind yeah. of like the original market darling, yes. smartwatch. Yeah, and you loving it? I love it. Yeah, I really love it. It's quite like, a fan, huh? They've, well, they've just they've done such a good job of going right from the start, right from the first version of the people they brought out, and that, even on their website they say it's <laughs> it's not going to change the world. It's a watch. And I love that. The battery lasts for seven days because the technology that's running it is so lo-fi. It's got um, e-paper as a, as a screen, which is where most of those power-saving uh, sort of numbers are coming from, similar to like a Kindle, same sort of technology. And it's cool because it just it does the basic stuff you want it to do. If I get a text message, it comes up there. If I get a call, I can control my music with it through the Bluetooth player so I don't have to get my phone out. I can look at emails. I can respond to stuff uh, using voice-to-text. It's got a microphone in there, which is very accurate. It's, it's great, and it cost me 200 bucks, and it looks quite cool. I like it. Hmm. It's like an old digital watch. It is. Yeah. It is. It's it retro. very much is, yeah. Retro. And so it does. It's got this whole rest, retro aesthetic that they're just running with. They're yeah. going, well, it's it's a little bit lo-fi if you compare it to a gear or like the Samsung gear or the mm. um, the Motorola, uh, what's their watch called? Mm. The 360 that they brought out or the Apple Watch. But it, it's so much cheaper. And so they're just building on the strengths that are naturally there, that it's a bit cheap, it's a bit plasticky, but it's kind of cool. Mm. And it works well, and it lasts for a week. And, and launched via, via crowdfunding. Right? Yeah. So which another, another piece of new, you know, caused new tech. some consternation for the second version because people were going, well, you're not exactly a brand new startup on the block here the second time around. You made millions of dollars the first time. I don't know if Kickstarter is supposed to be used for this, you know. Start a store like normal companies do. But it sort of worked out for them, though, didn't it? Definitely. It, they yeah. broke all sorts of records. Yeah. Both times, I think. The first and, and second time they've done that. They were kind of the, my understanding is they were the company that sort of uh, launched Kickstarter in a huge way. They were one of the first early massive multi-million dollar projects that got um, greenlit through through that crowd-funded uh 
crowdsourced funding. So they went back the second time around with their with their hands outstretched to the same fan base. But um, yeah, there, there were a few disparaging articles written about going just going. I think your situation's a little bit different now, guys. You can go through some slightly more traditional funding rounds. Yeah, oh, there's, uh, there's so much good stuff going on. Now, we were talking about security before. The one I just had, story I had to bring up um, is around a company that, that some will have heard of called Ubiquity, who make uh, a range of networking equipment and uh, particularly known for their um, their Wi-Fi access points that uh, you know, a lot of businesses use and some people use in their homes. And apparently they've been scammed for something like $70 million dollars. Um, this whole thing just seems absolutely uh, bizarre to me that, um, yeah, they, um, they've they just handed over a huge wad of cash uh, to scammers. Spoofing emails. It's, um, it's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, I have come... It doesn't come sound ac- very sophisticated, does it? No. Well, I've come across this sort of thing before, and it has happened. Uh, you know, I've heard of local firms here in New Zealand that have you know run uh run into into troubles and i know we've talked about this sort of stuff on the podcast before so one of the local stories uh, that i heard about was a firm that does business internationally they got an invoice from that um uh, uh from an international international supplier or what they thought was an international supplier they paid the invoice to the details that came on on the email uh and it was it was a fake email and it wasn't really from that company had a different bank account number on it and it just seems that in this case this is just a larger variation on that on that sort of scam so So it's not a theft where they've gone in and broken something to steal the money but it's actually been scammed away they've actually been they've been scammed so in in the in the uh in the analog world this was called pro forma invoicing wasn't it a pro forma invoicing scam it's sort of a variation on that but i think that the the trick is is that it's it's someone where you've got the trust relationship with you may be already doing you know this might have there might have been a legitimate invoice uh coming from you know whoever was involved for 70 million New Zealand yeah. dollars but the bank account details get get changed so yeah it shows how trusting and and confident show. we've got an email yeah uh, that the, you know those details oh yeah I've got an instruction via email uh, you know to change bank account uh, bank account details and in fact you know my business we went through this we changed banks earlier on in the year we uh, you know sent out an email to customers saying going forward all payments should be into this bank account and it was interesting because I don't think, and even though you know we we do have discussions with them around security things, I don't think anyone was pulled checking? us up on it. I don't. I personally don't remember getting any calls saying, "Hey, Paul, just double checking that the email that we got from your your admin, um, you know, was correct, and you've changed your bank account number." Um, so certainly afterwards, we started going around and talking to a few customers about some uh, some of the risks associated and. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're seeing more and more of these things happen. But, yeah, just the scale of this one, $70 million, uh, sort of blew my mind a little bit. It's Again, unbelievable. It's always going to be around, though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it <clears throat> sounds like, in this particular case, to be quite a lo-fi uh, way that they've extracted that money. And it just goes to show that the strength of social hacking will always, you know, it's always there. And it's always yeah. incredibly strong. And it's always been the strongest way to scam your way through anything you know yeah blagging so, social hacking yeah there you go like yeah. uh, they can uh, they can push out all the security updates they want but you know sometimes all it takes is a few phone calls and an email to someone who you know isn't very wise on 
the red flags to look out for and all of a sudden you got tens of million does millions of dollars walking out the door of your company mm. the other one we've seen is a request say from the ceo of the firm to somebody else in the firm saying please transfer this amount of funds to this bank account and uh, uh, just you know reading uh, the article this was on the register i'm sure it's covered uh elsewhere um that that may have been involved in in this case but we came across a, an example like that where somebody had had falsified an email ceo to someone else in the company fortunately they went back and asked a few more questions uh so yeah this this is a, a genuine reality and and worth people thinking about and it doesn't matter whether you're in a small business or whether you're in a, a government department in terms of you know making sure you've got the right processes in place two-factor authentication will, will actually check this stuff you know pick up the phone call you yeah. know if the ceo says transfer this funds build that into your process uh in this case uh the chief accounting officer at ubiquity um re- resigned over it which is um sounds fair enough 60 you know, million dollars yeah so right. um hmm. all right well that uh, that just about wraps us up actually for this week guys so um thank you very much for coming in was there anything else that we missed I think we've done a good job. I read a pretty cool article I'll mention just briefly, if I may, about a um, device that's been made at the latest hacking conference for $30, which has got three aerials on it and can open any uh, keyless entry car or garage door pretty much ever made. Um, so a guy basically went to the car manufacturers and said, this is this is a thing that can be done theoretically. The old story, no one listened. So he went, all right, I've made it. Watch this. <laughs> and um, he's, he's trialled it, and it works exactly as he said it would. Um, 30 bucks worth of hardware. It's got three aerials on it. Uses a technique where two of the aerials take care of blocking a particular signal, and then the third extracts um, the temporary key that the keyless system is using, opens any car. So it'll be interesting to see if anyone notices or cares who makes cars out there um, I suspect probably not or probably not for a while as is usually the case with these things but the car makers are definitely the, the slackest users of very slow. at the moment yeah, very yeah. Slow. it's a real challenge this you know the space they're in and I you know spend some time you know talking to varying ones and uh, you know something like this they're not they're not really so geared up to be able to just push out a software update to change how everything works, right? It's, they might uh, have to get that way, though, um, with more and more I think so. I, I really think so. Cars. I think it's got, to, it's got to be at that point. I mean, Tesla uh, recently, they, you know, they, they were caught with a security issue, but the interesting thing about theirs compared to the Chevrolet issue that, that we had recently wasn't that their vehicle was able to be hacked. The interesting thing was, you know, I think within 24 hours or so, uh, that Tesla were able to software, you know, push out an update to all of these cars wherever they were because uh, they've generally all internet connected with mm. SIM cards and so on. And uh, they're just geared up for that continuous update type model. Uh, so no we, legacy. We, we, yeah, we need to we yeah. need to see more more of that. And so yeah, it's good it's good to see a new kid on the block who's uh, uh, you know stirring things up a, a little or or a lot in their case actually. So yeah. Now recently I got an approach from the folks at Ancestry.com to test out their technology. They do DNA testing and they pair that uh, information with information in their Ancestry database. And I thought this sounds really interesting. So I jumped on board and gave it a go. Uh, Now we're going to jump across to the interview that I've just done with them. Yeah right, now we're with uh, Ben Mercer from Ancestry.com. Welcome along Ben. Thanks Paul, it's a pleasure to be here. 
Now, uh, tell us a little bit about the Ancestry.com uh, platform and uh, and why it exists and, and what you've been up to recently. I understand it's gone through a little bit of a, uh, a modernisation from a sort of a, a user interface perspective and it's becoming, uh, I think there was, there was a comment before about uh, it being like Facebook for dead people. Uh, explain <laughs> that. Uh, Ancestry is all about uh, discovering identity, discovering your family story and uh, very often we look back um, into the past and, and discover the stories of those that aren't with us. So that's why we call it Facebook for Dead People. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. So what sort of people you know, have traditionally used an Ancestry.com? Well, traditionally, it's those that are looking to understand their, their family story just that little bit better. Uh, so it's it's those that uh, are retired. It's it's single mums who are trying to understand uh, their family story. It's it's people who are looking back to to discover more about themselves, but also their families. Great. Now you must have a pretty big database of information to make it work for people to be able to you know, drill in and find out a lot of information through Ancestry. How much data have you got? Oh, it's enormous and, and always growing. Uh, I think now we're up to 16 billion records internationally, uh, billions of records for New Zealanders uh, that describe that sort of history that takes us back into uh, Ireland and, and Scotland and, and where many of New Zealanders actually come from. Yeah, okay. So when you say 16 billion records, does that mean it's, it's got references to 16 billion people or...? Well, there are millions, there's 70 million family trees, and those trees describe families, and within those trees there's literally billions of connections, and more yeah, every okay. day. Okay. Mm. So what's been changing recently with Ancestry.com? Uh, you know, we, I just went through the DNA test, so thank you for that process. That was, that was interesting. Um, tell me about how DNA testing uh, is sort of changing uh Ancestry as a, as a tool for people? Well, what uh, DNA actually does is it mixes science with the archival record. And not every family is able to find uh, their ancestors in that archival record. Uh, sometimes the original records just run out. Uh, if you weren't a member of the royalty or, or a convict, a criminal, then you might just not appear. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> so but, there's some benefit from, uh, from being a convict, huh? Well, there is. Not many, but, but later in life, uh, when the family goes looking for you, you're easier, easier to find. <laughs> okay. Just like the government. The government could find you, therefore we can find you. Yep. Now, when we were looking at it before, uh, looking through some of the results out, out of my DNA test, you pulled up somebody that wasn't in my family tree currently, but the DNA test had obviously uh, found a linkage with this particular person. How common is that and, and how do those linkages come about and how much chance is there that I'm actually related to, uh, to the individual who came up? Every family, uh, every ordinary family has extraordinary stories and that's what DNA does. Uh, you're always surprised by the results that come back and those sort of uh, connections, uh, those fourth cousin connections with potentially people across the entire world uh, is what DNA is about. Uh, you're actually mixing your um, DNA results with the archival record and the family trees and pulling back people that are connected to you across the world. Hmm. Now, uh, people have always asked me, Paul, you know, with a name like Spain, uh, you know, are you from Spain? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, in, in fact, um, I had... Uh, 
uh, yeah, someone I ran into the other the other day uh, asked exactly that question after seeing my business card. Um, now, I think that the numbers that sort of came up there, it was a pretty small percentage of sort of linkage back to um, the Iberian Peninsula, and I guess you know that certainly includes uh, Spain. Uh, how so? How much chance is there, and how accurate is that uh, is that number, uh, or? And and I guess how how far back does the DNA information sort of uh, you know click back in terms of uh, time? Well, our test goes back about two thousand years, uh, and that three uh, percent Iberian Peninsula that we saw in your ethnicity results—it's a guide. Mm. Uh, so it might be that you're not Spanish at all. So that family myth that uh, you are from Spain, that your last name says you're from Spain. Maybe it's not true. And I don't want to hear that. <laughs> that's my name. That's my identity. Don't take it away from me. Well, that's what DNA does. It, it helps you to actually work out what your identity actually yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's put some science and, mm. and so on into it. But I, I, I guess uh, that at the moment there's a certain amount of data and you know, over time as, as more and more people get DNA testing, you actually end up with more, uh, more accurate data. Um, estimates and, and numbers that come back exactly so there's been over a million people internationally that have done the test and there's thousands more every week so the results get better and better as more people do uh, the actual test and you'll see over time that more connections pop up in your account that your ethnicity uh, results may change and and actually become more accurate uh, we'll be able to say potentially where uh, your family came from at a city level uh, instead of at a country level right so okay it'll oh. get better and better yeah, yeah that's cool so but you couldn't see anything in there that t- tied me back to royalty or anyone really important I didn't see any royalty and no convicts either. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Oh, well, that's good. Hey, well, thank you very much for your time, Ben. Excellent. My pleasure. Cheers. Anytime. Cool. Well, that's us. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening in. Now, uh, Tim, where do we track you down online? You're on, you're uh, on Twitter, right? Yeah, you can check me out on Twitter, Tim underscore bat, B-A-T-T. Excellent. And uh, Rob? Robbo N-Z. R-O-B-O-N-Z. That's me. Nice, nice. Great handle. Yeah, you got an early, got an early, got an early. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm Easy Paul Spain on Twitter, uh, and you can track us down at Podcasts NZ uh, or Podcasts.co.nz for uh, for more local podcasts uh, and uh, New Zealand or in well, NZTechPodcast.com. You'd think I remember the URL <laughs> by now. We're two hundred and forty something episodes in, but uh, yeah, maybe that's maybe that's um, that's the problem. Uh, my memory's just starting to fail in uh, my old age of podcastedness or something. Get a bitly. Reduce it down. We'll get a three-character one. Yeah, you. yeah. That'd be, that'd be easier, wouldn't it? Hey, well, thanks, everyone, for listening in. We'll catch you back again uh, next week on the uh, this same Bat channel. See ya. The New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT.